0: 12. Lachlan's going to read to us from Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it, it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. <clears throat> they will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law he said to the crowd when you see a cloud rising from the west when you see a cloud rising from the west immediately immediately you say it's going to rain and it does and when the south wind blows you say it's going to be hot and it is, hypocrites "'You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. "'How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? "'Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right, "'as you are going with your adversary and ma- to the magistrate? "'Try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. "'Or he may drag you off to the judge, "'and the judge turn you over to the officer, "'and the officer throw you into prison. "'I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny.'" Now, there there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig, dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. A crippled woman healed on the Sabbath. Oh, we don't read the titles, do we? On a Sabbath, um, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Is, it is like a mustard seed, which a great man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of God.
1: Well, let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your word. We pray that um, as we read your word and think about it now, that you would be uh, changing our minds and changing our hearts, that we would be people who, uh, in this uh, world that uh, is uh, uh, so much against you, that we would stand as people who are faithful to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Last week, the American Library Association released their list of the most complained about books in 2015. These are the books that uh, people so badly wanted to have removed from the shelves of libraries throughout America that they filled in official complaint forms. Um, Books that were to be removed because they're Their content was so offensive and inappropriate. Um, Number two uh, was Fifty Shades of Grey. There's no surprises there. And of the uh, the countless books in all the American libraries, the sixth most complained about book in 2015 was, you guessed it, the, the Bible, the Bible the sixth worst book in terms of its offensive content and inappropriateness. Uh, And yet the Guinness Book of Records tells us that the Bible is actually the most popular book in the world of all time, with an estimated 5 billion copies being distributed in the last 200 years. So there you have it. Countless people love the Bible, and yet there's a whole stack of people who complain about the Bible who think it's offensive. That makes sense really, doesn't it? I mean, it, uh, because it's, it's kind of the same way that people respond to the God of the Bible, and uh, particularly of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. People love to think of Jesus as, as if he never left the manger that he's Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But yet the the key message of the Bible, uh, of sin, of judgment, of the cross, and the need to repent, uh, it's a message which divides people because it either offends people greatly because of the need to repent or it delights people because of the offer of forgiveness. The gospel of Jesus is greatly divisive. In fact, uh, the whole of humanity can be divided into two groups. It's those who believe the gospel and those who do not believe the gospel. Uh, you and I feel that, don't we? We uh, feel it uh, in our relationships, in the communities that we, that we live amongst. Uh, we feel it, uh, for some of us especially, within our families. And that's why the words of Jesus in today's passage are a great comfort to believers. If you care to open up the passage at Luke chapter 12, remember that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. He's been doing so since chapter 9 verse 51 when he set his face towards Jerusalem where he knew that he would die. And uh, here in verse 49 he tells the crowd that the reason that he's come is to actually bring the fire of God's judgment on the earth. And Jesus himself would be baptized, not talking about the baptism of water at the Jordan River, talking about baptism in terms of being immersed, being uh, saturated in suffering. He would suffer en route to the cross and he would suffer on the cross, as he bore that fire of God's judgment upon himself. Now, this message of Jesus divided people, and it's the same for us today. Uh, in verses 52 to 53, he foretells the effect that, that he would have on families. Now, it's, it's great when everyone in a family believes in Jesus. That's fantastic. Uh, But the fact that both parents are godly does not guarantee that all of their children will be, no matter how hard they try. Uh, In fact, um, many times uh, it's simply not the case that uh, you'll have Christian parents who've done a great job raising their kids in, in the gospel, but there's a personal choice where the children do not believe and some do believe. Or situations where one member of a family becomes a Christian, and finds themselves alone in that situation amongst all of their relatives, the only Christian. Or when a married person becomes a Christian, uh, sometimes their spouse (coughs) believes and uh, sometimes their spouse does not believe and so on. And because the gospel of Jesus is about the most important things of life, it therefore becomes a very profound point of difference within families. Which, by the way, that's where living a godly life in your family makes a huge difference. Uh, Like in 1 Peter chapter 3, when a a Christian wife should uh, seek to win over her non-Christian husband by the the godliness of her her behaviour. Uh, By not uh, being attractive outwardly so much as being attractive inwardly, the inner and quiet spirit that um, is so attractive. Sometimes it gets tough. I once had a a Jewish friend uh, whose parents disowned her. They cut her off from her family because she had accepted Yeshua. She had accepted Jesus as her Messiah. The true Jewish Messiah The one that the prophets said Would come Uh, She had believed the gospel And repented Which is exactly what the people Who witnessed the miraculous Signs of Jesus Should have also done And uh, Jesus points this out in Verses 54 through to 57 Where he uses Two common sense Illustrations from life The The first illustration is about recognizing the signs that point to Jesus as the Messiah. And he talks about the weather. Now, if you and I want to know what the weather is going to be like, uh, we can look up into the sky and we can make certain conclusions from that. Or we can get onto our iPhone and uh, start talking to Siri and ask Siri, what's the weather going to be like in Port Macquarie? And she'll just tell you straight away. Or we can Google it. But Jesus says this, have a look at verse 54. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's gonna rain and it does. Now friends, there is nothing mystical about this. This is just simple geography. Because uh, to the west of Palestine is what? It is the Mediterranean. And so if you uh, see um, a cloud in the the west coming up from the Mediterranean Sea, you know that it's full of moisture. You know it's going to rain. Then in verse 55, he says, And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot. And guess what? It is, because it's coming from the south. Why? Well, what is south of Palestine? It's desert. It's desert. I, I mean, uh, to the south, uh, west, that's kind of like Egypt, and to the south and the southeast, that's kind of like the Arabian Peninsula. That's Saudi Arabia. This is this is this is desert, and it's and it's hot. So if the wind is coming from the south, then it's going to be hot uh, where you are. They know how to interpret those signs, the clouds which point to the rain, the wind which points to the warm temperature, but yet they fail to interpret the signs which point to the Messiah. The miraculous signs which Jesus had been performing. The blind can see. The deaf can hear, the lame can walk. He healed the sick, he controlled nature. He demonstrated his victory over Satan by driving out demons. They are pretty good at recognising signs about the weather. But on this, on this, the most important issue of all, the coming of God's king, they fail. They fail. So that's the first illustration. It's about interpreting the signs. The second illustration is about repentance and he talks about two people going to court. In verses 57 through to 59, uh, if a person owed you money and you realised that you didn't have a chance of being able to repay that money, it was impossible for you to repay that debt then what are you going to do? Are you going to wait till you get to the court? No, because you know that if you wait till you get to the court, the judge is going to find you guilty. And in this case, the judge is going to throw you in the prison and you ain't getting out until somehow you pay back every cent. No one in their right mind would want that. What's the smarter thing to do? The smarter thing to do is to settle out of court, isn't it? (laughs) To actually connect with the person that you owe the money to, to negotiate, to work out a deal, to be reconciled to that person. Now, if they know how to do that, they know how to be reconciled to their adversary before the judgment day, then how much more important is it to be reconciled to god before the great day of judgment friends without jesus our sins put us offside with god and there is a day of judgment in hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says that man is destined to die once and guess what after that to face judgment it's coming it's going to happen And so the smart thing to do is to be reconciled to God before that day. Jesus points out that this is what people do in order to avoid going to prison. How much more important is it to avoid to do in order to avoid going to hell? Now, as Jesus is pointing all of this out, it seems that there were some people who may have already received God's judgment, or at least that's what some people in the crowd thought. In uh, chapter 13, verse one, there was some breaking news about some Galileans who had been murdered by Pontius Pilate. And it seems that this has happened whilst they were at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we don't have any records outside of the Bible of this dreadful crime, but it fits, doesn't it? It fits with what we know of the character of Pilate. There's no surprises here. And this detail about how their blood was mixed with the the blood of their sacrifices, that is is just abominable, isn't it? That's, That's just dreadful. A couple of weeks back in Kolkata, India, there was an overhead bridge which was being constructed and it collapsed. Did you see that? That was just, that was just awful. I saw the, the, you know, the CTV of it, you know, this bridge coming down and just collapsing on all of these. Scores of people were, were killed, hundreds of people were injured. It was a terrible tragedy. And I've got no doubt that there would have been Hindus who would have been saying that this is actually due to bad karma. This is due to something bad that they've done in their previous life. Well, in Jesus' day, some people wrongly believe that if something bad happened to someone, well, hey, they're just being punished for some sin that they've committed. Now, um, the problems that we have in life do find their origin in human sin, But that's because we live in a fallen world. It's not that there's a correlation between something terrible happening to you and some sin that you've particularly committed. But they think that this might be the case, and so they've mentioned this to Jesus. And then Jesus comes up with a tragic news story of his own. Uh, Siloam is an area in the south of Jerusalem, and apparently... A tower had collapsed and killed eighteen people, and people might have thought that these were these incidences were examples of what Jesus was saying about judgment. But uh, friends, in our fallen world, dreadful people do go and kill other people, and as Pilate did, and tragedies do happen. Earthquakes struck. Uh, Kyushu, just a couple of days ago. And this is why we wait for the new heaven and the new earth. This is why the whole of creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the revealing of the sons of men. Have a look at verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Or down in verse 5 about the Tower of Siloam falling on people, Jesus says, uh, do you think that they were more guilty than others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Jesus turns these tragedies into an Opportunity to learn wisdom. A friend of mine who was a young specialist doctor with a wife and five children was a Christian man and uh, he was by himself, he was on a journey. He pulled out from the side of the highway and didn't see the truck coming. There were many people who were deeply affected by his tragic death. After the funeral, some people gathered together in our home, and there was a young, self-confident, non-Christian professional woman who was with us, and I asked her this question, how are you feeling? And I remember the quiver in her voice. Her answer was very simple, vulnerable. I feel vulnerable. An atheist school teacher after the funeral reflected saying, you Christians have got something which we just don't have. After 9-11, Many people came to church for weeks, for months. After 9-11, there were people that we'd never seen before who came to... I remember the Christmas day of that year that this church building was the fullest that I've ever, ever seen it. Every pew was full. Uh, A line of chairs up the aisle was full. All of this area here we packed out with chairs into the overflow, into the vestry area. We packed that up with chairs... Over here was all packed with chairs. It was, I'd never seen it as full ever and never have since. Tragedies are terrible, but they are an opportunity for wisdom because they should cause us to think hard about the big issues, about God, about death, about eternity... They should cause us to repent whilst we still have time. We do not have that right sense of vulnerability. And so it is sobering to remember that when my friend pulled out from the side of the road that he didn't know that that was the last time he'd ever used the blinker on his car. It's sobering to remember that the day that the people of of Siloam went to the tower, that they had no idea that that would be the last day they would ever do that. And so what this tells us is that every day that God gives us is a day of God's patience and God's mercy, giving us opportunity to repent before we face the judge. Now, Jesus illustrates this with a parable. In the Old Testament, Israel was sometimes described as being a, um, a vineyard, a vineyard planted by God Himself. Now, take a look at verses 6 to 8. In verse 6, then He told this parable A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Fair point. I mean, the fig tree was in a vineyard, which means that the soil was nutritious, the soil was good. And the fig tree exists for one reason and one reason only, and that is to produce figs to produce fruit. And it's the same with Israel. Good soil, but no fruit. No fruit of faith and repentance. No fruit of righteousness. And therefore Israel is deserving of judgment. But, but, have a look at verse 8. Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. There is a day of judgment and God is patient. God's patience is meant to give us the room, the time to repent before it's too late. Give it another year, says the man. And if there's fruit, great. If not, do away with it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, Jesus divides people or rather, people are divided they divide themselves by their response to Jesus. And uh, we see an example of this in verses 10 to, through to 17. There is a, a poor woman. Uh, she has an evil spirit and there's a connection between this evil spirit and a spinal problem which has crippled her. For the past 18 years, she has lived her life bent over bent over it's a synagogue it's a Sabbath and Jesus sees this poor crippled woman and he calls her out and he declares release from her infirmity he lays his hands on her and her back straight and She stands up straight. Can you imagine that? I, we all know people who are, are crippled in some way. We all know people who suffer in various ways like that. Imagine the joy. Imagine the joy the first time in 18 years you're actually able to stand up. She just praised God. But yet the religious leader, the synagogue ruler, he criticised her. He didn't criticise Jesus. He indirectly criticised the woman because he then spoke to the people. And have a look at what he said to the people in verse 14. He said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on one of those days, but don't come on the Sabbath to be healed. There's a compassionate man. But Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Sabbath. Jesus is the one in whom we find God's rest, God's release, God's ultimate healing. The Sabbath is about Jesus and what Jesus does in bringing people out of their oppression, out of their infirmities, out of and into a relationship with God. This synagogue ruler, you know what? He would have worked for his animals on the Sabbath. <laughs> he would have t- taken water out to give to his donkey or his oxen on the Sabbath. But you reckon he'd want someone to work for this this? Woman, this, this daughter of Abraham on the Sabbath, this one who is the recipient of the great promises that God made to Abraham of a people, a land, and a blessing, he wouldn't have anyone work for her on the Sabbath. The crowd was divided. The crowd in the synagogue that day was split in two. There were some who opposed Jesus. And others in verse 17 who were told they delighted in all the wonderful things that God was doing through Jesus. How about that, eh? Jesus divides people and he does so even today. And it can be sometimes hard for us, can't it, as Christians seeking to live godly lives in this world. Listen to how a Sydney Morning Herald sports columnist on March the 30th of this year mocked the gospel and in so doing mocked us and mocked Jesus. Listen to this. This is what he said that we believe, and I quote, that we believe that a cosmic Jewish zombie who is his own father, can make you live forever if you symbolically eat his flesh and drink his blood while telepathically telling him that you can accept him as your master so that he can remove an evil force from your soul which is present in all humanity because a woman made out of one rib bone and a mound of dirt was tricked into eating fruit from a magical tree by a talking snake. You know, the Sydney Morning Herald used to be a good newspaper. (laughs) That's nothing like the article that they carried this morning about how um, the church of the flying spaghetti monster has now been officially recognised in New Zealand and performed their first wedding service uh, a couple of days ago. Um, A church set up essentially to mock us and to mock the God we believe in. People mock Jesus. Yes, you heard right, the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. <laughs> People mock Jesus. They, they can predict the weather and they sure know how to stay out of court, but they ignore the miraculous signs that prove who he is. They don't bother to actually read the scriptures for themselves, to consider the works that Jesus has done, the record that we have of it, and truly ask themselves the question, who is this man? Yet we are not discouraged, are we? Well, sometimes we can feel a bit down about it, but we should not be discouraged, because guess what? Guess what? Despite the opposition, in the context of the opposition, you know what's happening to God's kingdom? It's growing. It's growing. That's what's happening. And in verses 18 through to 21, Jesus says that the kingdom of God, it's like, it's like a mustard seed. A mustard seed was the smallest seed that the people in his time and day knew. And yet, it's the smallest of seeds, but it actually grows uh, into something which is a which is a beautiful shrub, so big that it has branches that birds can actually find shade and shelter under it. It grows. It's like the seed of the gospel that's planted in someone's heart, and grows and produces a wonderful shrub. Or it's like a, a small amount of yeast which are, which are, uh, which someone. Uh, mixes in uh, with, with the dough, of the bread, and, the, and it spreads throughout the dough, from the inside out. It spreads slowly, quietly, surely, and for the school students amongst us, exponentially. It spreads, it grows, and it's doing so in the lives of people kingdom of God may not look all that impressive from an outward observer it may not look all that grand but it's about actually the gospel of Jesus, the great truths about who he is and the forgiveness that comes because he actually bore the wrath of God's judgment upon himself it's about that gospel working slowly but surely in the lives of ordinary people Ordinary people, people like the bent-over woman in the synagogue, ordinary people who look at the miraculous signs and conclude, hey, this man is different. This man is the Messiah. And in repentance, they turn their lives over to trusting, loving and serving Him. It may not look all that impressive, It may look like something which can be easily mocked, but it's the very thing which one day will be shown in all of its grandeur, all of its beauty on that day when the Lord Jesus comes again. So stand firm, brothers and sisters. Expect the division to be our state, our situation, this side of the second coming, but God's kingdom will be shown for all of its glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for the miraculous signs that Jesus performed that point to who he truly is. Father God, we pray that more and more people would actually take heed of the warning and repent before it is too late. We pray for ourselves, Lord God, that you'd give us confidence to stand firm for the gospel despite the opposition, for we know that Jesus' kingdom is indeed glorious. And we ask this in his name. Amen.